I love our intro. It like makes me want to dance. It makes every me time. dance at the Welcome to CRE Power Hour. Your hosts are the amazing Stephanie Gillison and myself, Lisa Marie Wand. And we have over four decades of combined commercial real estate experience. And we've built and we've scaled and we've conquered the real estate world. And we're here every second and fourth Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific to bring you top guests from the commercial real estate fields. So get ready to uncover some trends, some strategies, and meet the movers and shakers of the business. So today we have Heather Kanaka, who's actually been a guest on our show before. She's so awesome. We wanted to bring her back. She hails from Dallas, Texas. And um, we're going to hear some really interesting information. We're going to talk about some fun topics today. Welcome. It's great to see you again, Heather. And this is our last show of 2024. Woo! We're going out with awesome. a bang with the amazing Heather. <laughs> see? Do I believe it? Let's There's a reason it. for everything, right? <laughs> Heather, I think it's been close to right at a year since we've had you on, you know, the last time, because you and I first met at, at Globe Street's Woman of Influence, uh, which was amazing. And then here we are a, a year later having you on the show. And tell us what Dallas, Texas is like and tell us all this amazing stuff that you've had going on since we last spoke. Well, thank you guys, both of you, for having me on. Super excited to connect again. Always love the time spent with you and just, you know, just this energy is amazing. Um, and I have to say it's Dallas-Fort Worth because I'm in Fort Worth yeah. and, you know, we love Fort Worth. So um, anyway, Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm not sure why it's not Fort Worth-Dallas, but if it were up to me, I'd rename it. <laughs> Alphabetically, <laughs> right? Al Alphabetically, right? So... <laughs> Anyway, but DFW, uh, what's going on in our market? You know, we still have things happening. We still have deals closing. We still have things, um, you know, development still happening. And, you know, in Texas, I mean, we do have land. So that really is, um, you know, I say buy land because they're not making any more of it, right? I think I said that last time. Yeah, that's really, <laughs> that's really all of us say that for sure, right? Yeah. That's beneficial for you, Heather, um, and your investors and your clients, because like where I am in northern Nevada, although we have a ton of land, the main areas, the main markets are landlocked. So we're seeing a lot of infill projects and then people starting to go you know, way out where it's going to take years and years for things to catch up. But in Dallas, Fort Worth area, I was just there recently. Um, my corporate headquarters is there. You oh. still have you still have an a lot of opportunity yeah. there, right? Yeah, we do. We still have a lot of opportunity. And, and I, I bet in, in Nevada, you guys experience this. Um, the water um, obviously is is an issue. And, you know, you get into some rural areas here and, and you've got some water challenges. Um, I actually serve on a, a board that uh, is a water district. And it's a really interesting um, underlying concept or dynamic that nobody really thinks about and really you know, takes time to think about, but, you know, our water is really, really important. And um, I know that's going to uh, hinder some developments, but uh, we always find solutions. And that's what we're doing is working in the problem solving, finding solution business, right? Yes. In fact, I was just on a market leader call for my company, More Partners. And the term that we were using is um, change management. So commercial real estate is moving from these transactional type deals to 
change management, working with companies on uh, right sizing, moving to save costs, changing their labor force. Mm -hmm. And it adds a whole other dynamic to what we do as commercial real estate brokers and trusted advisors is taking a look at what's best for our client and how we can come up with, you know, helping supporting them with the changes that it takes in order for them to remain successful in growth mode and competitive in the world market. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head right there. Heather, yep. you, you've primarily always, I mean, you've done all kinds of deals and, and transactions and so forth. But before we started the show, you were talking about, you know, you're doing office deals. I, I love hearing that. Right? I mean, I've talked to some of the heads of some of the major brands in commercial real estate. We've actually had them on this show. And, you know, we had the, the uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say, we can go back and watch the rerun, but with Cushway, um, I, I can't remember her exact title though. It was, I forget. But anyway, she was worried about her, her broker, in, you know, the New Jersey and the New York, and so much of the Northeast because office has just dried up. Those were her words. And you were saying prior to us starting the show that you've gotten involved in, in some office uh, deals. So share what's going on there. Well, it, it really has been a, um, you know, it's kind of morphed into this. Um, about three years ago, I was uh a lender reached out to me to do an opinion of value of an asset that they had provided a loan on, um, you know, in the, the $15 million range. And, you know, the buyer put, you know, 30% down. And so um, they were foreclosing on that buyer, that borrower, and they, you know, wanted to know what could they take it to market for. And at the time it was 28% occupied. So obviously what gives something value, right? It's income. I mean, yes, you've got the actual structure, but from an investment standpoint, it's the income. So, you know, it didn't look too good. Um, a year later, they reached out to me saying, hey, you know, you gave us this opinion of value if it were, you know, as is or leased up. Would you want to help us get to that lease up rate? And, you know, of course, I love opportunities and value relationships and, you know, have a team. new problem solve. What the <laughs> problem we, solve? You know, manage, management change or change. What was that? <laughs> management. So, yeah. You know, we, we took on the asset and we've taken it. I think we're about to um, get to a little over 80% and, you know, from 28 to 80% and in two years is, is a nice feat. But what's happened in office is that value has just plummeted, right? Or overall the U.S., but what I love about our DFW market is we lead the nation in getting back to work. While the statistic is really low and I read it, so and I've slept since then, but I think it was like we're at 58% of our workforce is back in the office. Oh, that's um, a great number. Nationally, really that's almost so double. So leading the nation, um, you know, we're getting back into the office. And so what I have is I have some investors who have predominantly done multifamily and, you know, the multifamily sector has gone from, you know, 20 years ago, a $25,000 door. It was trading now, you know, at 150,000 a door. And you just, while the rents have increased, they haven't increased that much, but it just became where it just didn't make sense. And, you know, then you could just, you could build, but you've got to go through the zoning and, you know, you have all of the, uh, um, 
not in my neighborhood, you know, not in my backyard people. Um, the nymphs, I think they're called. All the opposition. <laughs> so it's, you know, sometimes hard to get that past PNZ and city council. So um, multifamily developers and, and owners have said, you know, I'm going to look at office. So I had a guy, he was uh, purchasing a deal. He was actually going to scrape the office building, which is a little over 150,000 square feet and build around 450 apartment units. And he asked for an extension, a five month extension, taking us on into next year. And the seller was like, how about I reduce my price, you know, millions of dollars and you move forward with a deal this year. And he was like, wow, you know, so it puts it, you know, 50 bucks a foot on, on the asset. And even if you come in and, you know, lease it up at below market rents. And I think at, you know, 40% occupancy passing through triple nets, it's, you know, 11, 12 cap. That's and then imagine great. if you yeah. get it to, you know, higher occupancy. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting what's happening, what's going on. Um, People are still needing space. I think there's, you know, whether it's a user who might own part of the building and, you know, in essence, his company or her company leases it from the ownership. Um, I've got a guy doing a 1031 exchange out of a deal like that. And so it's, it's happening. I mean, we're still, we still have movement in our market and it's wonderful to see. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to um, my company. We just did a, a feasibility study with the, uh, Microsoft U.S. headquarters that's here in Reno. So they have a huge, they have two buildings actually. And their ratio, you know, they're requiring a certain amount of people to come back to work and there's desk sharing and there's all these interesting different things happening, but, and yet they still need the space. And so um, in my opinion, office is not dead. It just, it it has a completely different look to it. And as some companies are coming into like, you know, a couple months ago talking about TikTok where they were requiring people to come back to the office and even downloading an app so they could check in and they were actually in the building because there's this kind of level of resistance for people coming back to the office. And I see more and more um, office landlords making the buildings um, a happy place yes. for employees to come back to. And you know, there's people here in Reno that uh, developers that have looked at taking office buildings and turning them into apartments. Our cost to build here has become between six hundred and a thousand dollars per square foot for commercial deals, wow. and you know that's ground up. But also, imagine trying to deal with a plumbing issue in an office building to make it into some sort of uh, multifamily situation. So I like this idea of, um, you know, purchasing below market, offering submarket rents, mm-hmm. filling those things up. And you can't get a 10 or 11% cap rate in, in our market in multifamily anymore. It's more like four and a half. So yeah. that's great. Well, and I think it's a great, um, you know, the previous tenant. So that particular 150,000 building square foot building was one tenant. So they vacated and, you know, the ownership, if they would have carved it up, you know, and put, you know, smaller tenants, they didn't want to spend any TI dollars. Plus the city would love to see multifamily there, but whoever says that, right? Well, this guy buying it says, you know, I think I'll just keep it as an office, but I'm willing to carve it up and divide it up. And we've already shown it to people 
who want, you know, 20,000, they're coming out of their larger space or they're really wanting to get back. So it's going to be interesting how this all shakes out. And I think as, you know, depending on where interest rates go or or level out, um, you know, when we think about cost of funds um, being at two and a half, three and a half percent, right? That's, I don't think we will ever get back to that. I just don't think that's a normal, sustainable rate to be at. Um, But being in the business almost 30 years, a 6% ca- uh, interest rate isn't bad. You know, mm-hmm. does, is a five better? Sure, five and a half. But where is that, you know, sustainable rate? And, you know, obviously getting up to the eight, nine and, you know, higher interest rates isn't sustainable. So right. it's interesting to see where this will shake out. You know, I definitely think in uh, Q, latter part of Q1, definitely Q2, I think we'll see our rates come back down, but I don't think we'll go back to the two and three, which is what made the multifamily so sweet, right? It was like, wow, I'm getting this cost of funds. I can amortize this for 30 years. I might have yeah. two years of IO. And, you know, wow, the sky is so, you know, but um, <laughs> it's it's looking for that. It's finding that sweet spot, right, Heather? Oh. You know, that, that lending sweet spot that makes commercial real estate investing um, exciting again. And it's called positive leverage. <laughs> positive leverage. Well, let, let's let's flip it back to to and let's talk about land, you know, and and because I always I always love what you know, I mean, with Texas, there's been and of course everywhere, there's been so much development over the course of what? It, really the last decade. I mean, it's been going on. But you know, you think of even the the large single family developments to the right. condominium, the multifamily, you know, you name it across. And this morning, you know, I, we all know I get up at 4 a.m. And what do you do at 4 a.m.? Well, I read. And so this morning I was reading about how many developers in the midst Houston. I mean, we're talking everywhere, you know, all over the U.S. Right. And, and you know, they're bankrupt because the cost of construction has gotten so out of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, and I've had a few land deals in Texas, simmer out, fizzle out rather. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's just say that, you know, because, you know, how are you getting through those hurdles, Heather, or, or are you? Well, and that, that's an excellent question, Stephanie. And, you know, gosh, is that the million dollar question? I know. Um, so cost of construction, I think, has it, to say it reached its peak. You know, I don't have the crystal ball. I can't promise you that. It has started to come down, but obviously whenever um, developers are underwriting and they're looking at their land cost and they're looking at the construction cost and then they, you know, make it up in the end game, right? Selling it to the end user. So it's when that starts to fall, then the construction cost has to come down and then that land cost. So that landowner, um, I mentioned before we started that, you know, deal that took three years um, going through PNZ and city council finally passed a week ago. And there was a retrade on the last day. Yeah. Um, so it was a retrade with the developer, with the landowner forecasting out how, you know, based on the last 10 months they've been under contract, this particular buyer and where there's where they see it going. So they reached an, agree, an agreement in the 11th hour. Um, I just think it's it's the gap that we'll have to work at closing and depending on where someone is in their life, you know, that particular landowner and a lot of landowners may be, you know, at a different part in their life, a different phase in their life, or, you know, they don't want to 
burden their children or, you know, maybe they're already feuding or who knows. And so it's just, you know, they they see that pie in the sky in the beginning. But then when you get down to reality, they have to have an adjustment in their mindset of what is the value. And then, you know, obviously the developer is going to make the money and sell it to whether they sell it the paper lots or they actually physically develop it and sell it to the builder. So it just it's just going to be interesting in, in closing the gap and working on, you know, helping people understand and keeping them informed, you know, it's, yeah, it, and it's that communication of, of what, you know, what value is and it's, what's that buyer willing to pay and the seller willing to say, sell. And, you know, if, if not, the deal doesn't happen. And so how bad does that developer really want it? And how bad does that landowner really want to sell? So I think we're just going to get, you know, correction and pricing. I think we're already seeing that, but um, yeah, I, you know, it always helps when the interest rates are extremely low, because when you're looking at development for residential, yeah. you know, that interest rate for the end user buyer, that's what enables them to be able to afford more. Right. With interest rates being five times what they were 18 months ago, it drastically reduces the number of end users that exist. Yeah, that buying power is reduced. And, and, you know, I'm a developer myself and. 18 months ago, it cost me, if I bought a piece of land, put in the infrastructure, you know, developed it out, ready, ready for, for, you know, construction to begin on homes. Mm -hmm. It was roughly $18,000 a lot. That wow. cost today is 36,000 a lot. Yeah. About double. That's about mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And, and it's not coming down. And, and this is me going to, y'all are going to have to knock me off this pedestal <laughs> right now because, you know, it all starts. And I had this conversation this morning, actually, with local city council members. And I said, look, your red tape needs to turn green yeah. because all the fees that you're putting on us and the fight and the constant this and the that, that has to get added in because nobody does this day in and day out for charity work. I right. don't. Right? It's got to be absorbed somewhere. It's got to, so it's got to go somewhere. So you've got all those costs. When it comes to the physical construction, lumber is doing this. Yeah. Everything else has consistently risen 6% every single year. Windows have gone up every quarter consistently to where they're 18% higher today than they were two years ago. Isn't that crazy? Garage doors. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's insane. So it's going <laughs> across the board. And so, yeah. you know, when when builders come and say, you know, well, here's a great, the largest builder in America two days ago. Yeah. I said, how are you all ever going to get into the $250,000 price point ever again? Yeah. We said, we won't. No, they won't. I there, there's just not a way. So actually, and, and I don't know that this is the solution, but um, the company that I um, opened my franchise, um, our parent company, <clears throat> excuse me, we are partnering with um, a very large uh, 3D printing company. Yeah. So the 3D printing of, um, we aren't going to be in this single family space, but we'll be doing, you know, whether it's multifamily, um, industrial, uh, I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, we can go up 40 stories or four stories and, you know, building, um, I think in areas where there's a need for housing that needs to be on the ground quick. 
So um, I do think of areas that are hit by hurricanes or areas that, you know, devastation with fire or whatever it might be, but you can get something on the ground. So, you know, so quick with 3D printing. And that one is super exciting to talk about. Um, we'll be rolling it out probably in the next three to six months. Um, what, is, what is the material, Heather? Isn't it concrete? It's concrete. So that's something that's really interesting. Yeah. Isn't it? That's what I go back to, though. The cost of concrete is six percent every eight weeks. Yes. So then there's so what I'm not a uh, PhD and I'm not going to yeah. go out and work on that, but it's something that to get the components. What is it that's going to be uh, a derivative of concrete? What's going to be put together to be sustainable? Mm -hmm. And you know this. So it's it's so dynamic and it's so yeah. interesting. And I was reading this morning about you know, okay no matter where you sit, um, 3D printing in space. And it's just like, what, where is this going? It's just, it's mind blowing. But um, anyway, there are you know, we, of that. we have not had that in Kentucky, my market. Uh, Lisa Marie, I'm not sure about Vegas, but I know um, a couple years ago, Austin, Texas, yeah. they did a 3D oh. printing development. Yeah. Georgetown, yeah, right, okay. just north of Austin, yeah. So have you ever toured that? Have you looked at, I mean, have you been close to that? Because I saw the photos. I spoke to a lot of people in Austin and who I was speaking to in Austin at that time were residential agents, because obviously these were residential single family homes. And I was just curious as, you know, what was it like? Because years and years ago, probably 20 years ago, there was a builder in Louisville, Kentucky that that built, we do always do this, this big parade of homes, right? It's the yeah, home tour. Right. everybody buys yeah. tickets. Everybody wants to see the latest and greatest. And he did a, of course it wasn't 3d printing, but he actually formed a concrete house. And I never forgot about, we have basements in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. You know, when you go into an in-ground basement that is not yeah. circulating or breathes, yeah there's that certain smell and yeah, that smell that this entire house had as a brand new funky, funky yeah. smell. <laughs> so, so the reason why I was so Damn. curious about this 3d printing concrete, and I have no idea you all, I'm just posing a question because I think it's yeah. a great topic of conversation. And if anybody knows this, feel free to message me or message all three of us and tell us, but with the change in temperature and humidity level and all the things that happened, I mean, even Texas had that massive unknown freeze a couple years ago where oh, it basically yes. wiped you guys off the grid for a bit because it was something you'd never experienced. Yeah. In drastic change like that, what does a 3D concrete printed house and building smell like? I just want to know. I have no idea. I haven't been in one, but I'm going to find out. So smell is crazy. important. It is very, I, I very just know, you know, when I go into an old home with an in-ground basement right. and it wasn't built for a basement to be finished, obviously, you know, there's, yeah. it, it just has that smell. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah the I do. Walls, the walls will sweat in concrete. Well, and with a 3D printing, there's actually little, um, if you picture like a bamboo wall, it's a vertical, has a little bumps or the little uh, bamboo. Mm -hmm. So this is um, horizontal. So it's really interesting, you know, hanging your, uh, you know, your pictures or your artwork or whatever it is. So 
I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, look, we've got to do solutions somehow, some way. And I mean, until, until whatever goes on behind the scenes in the, in, in the concrete industry and in the manufacturing space and all of that, that keeps raising these prices up, when is enough enough, right? When will it right. fluctuate? Well, and I think so something that we haven't really touched on here, but I think something about all of that pricing is labor. So, labor shortages, right? And so, <clears throat> so many people not working or not wanting to work or maybe choosing a different field. So when you think about, you've got a company that they need this product to, uh, produced or whatever, whether it's steel or lumber, and you've got to entice those people to come to work, right? And so what are you doing? You, you pay them more. You know, a, a multifamily property owner I know very well and you know, he'll have his top maintenance guy who's been there, you know, however long walk off the job because he got offered, you know, $10 more an hour. So yeah. he either has to, you know, meet, match that or so anyway, it's just such a trickle effect. So is. I'm not saying 3D printing will solve the world's problems and I'm not saying it will ever replace our normal construction. I think it's a new avenue, but something about a 3D printing site is you won't need all of those workers driving that cost of whatever those, you know, the um, materials up. So right. that, that's one of the things I was going to mention. So in Northern Nevada, we are the, uh, we have the world's largest industrial park here and we're a data and logistics hub and so much more of the building has started happening on site. We're with tilt ups and different types of buildings they're using. So where my mind is going with the 3d printing, Heather and Stephanie is with the supply chain. So how much of this can just be brought right to the job site and everything can be done there, which is a way to mitigate cost. Mm -hmm. Because I just spoke with a general contractor on a restaurant project we're working on the other day. And, and he said, and they're a big, big, a big company. He said, we're not the ones raising our prices as the, as the GCs. He said it's the subcontractors, which is what Heather you're speaking to yeah. directly, which a lot of it is yeah. um, the cost of their labor. Yeah. And then we have all of the supply chains for all of the products that keep like Stephanie was to her point, um, raising their prices. And so the general contractors are still they're not the ones that um, yeah. really are to blame here. It's I think that's the process here. So it's I would love to see chain. Yeah. Supply what chain workforce would look yeah. like if there mm -hmm. there was more of this 3D printing where you could just you could yeah. wipe out a lot of the middle right. costs. It's right. an interesting idea. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. But there's there's so many interesting dynamics in, you know, commercial real estate or just real estate. You know, I definitely um, I met with a guy who recently um, lost a lot of money in his stocks, right? His in the stock market. And, you know, he's like, okay, I've got this much left. I really, I want to buy real estate. So that is something I think, you know, commerce continues. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with and mentoring a lot of young people and I love to see their energy and their excitement and, you know, maybe a little naive here and there, but, you know, they'll learn, but, you know, commerce continues things still happen. People will still need things. And, and actually we become such huge consumers, although maybe we are cur curtailing our expend our spending a little bit, but you know um, it, it's so interesting, all the different dynamics of commercial real estate and real estate in general. So I love it. it 
And, and, and these are the times of opportunities. I mean, they just are, you know, this is where people do diversify and get into just like your multifamily people are now looking at office. Who would have ever bet money on that? You know, <laughs> so there, there's there's all, you, you know, I was doing some statistics this morning and um, and actually speaking to one of the agents on my team. And we just pulled up his market and he's out of Rhode Island. And I wow. said, look, you've got over 2,400 commercial property owners that have a loan adjusting in 2024. Actually, we just did the first six months of 2024. What are their plans? What's what are happening? their plans? I yes. said, this is your hit list to go out and make these phone yeah. calls. And that's exactly what we say is all I want you to do is, is call them and, and ask what their plan is because they need a plan. And a lot of times we're the front line of inform information for them. They aren't even paying attention to their right. numbers. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, you know, most owners, I think, know when their loan's coming due, but some it just might not be on the forefront. They might have so many other things happening and going on. So, you know, having those conversations and then, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a huge difference to say, Hey, you know, your loan's coming due. What are you going to do? It's, it's your loan's coming due how do you see resolving? What do you see as the best option for you, for your asset, you know, for your relationship with your lender? What's your lender talking about? So I think there's so many dynamics that go into those conversations. And, and it's, um, I also approach it with a little bit more delicate, um, you know, conversation because, you know, their loans coming due, they got it at, you know, 3% and, you know, it's going to more than double in the market. And, what are their options? And especially if it's a multifamily. So, um, you know, we've seen pricing. I talked about per door earlier. And, you know, is that adjusting? Um, you know, I've got a guy that, you know, a year ago they wanted 100 a door and, you know, now, you know, maybe 90 a door and, you know, their loan's coming due in May and, and where are they at? So, um, and I also think that, you know, the C, the C class you really need to be very careful about your debt structure and not maximizing it. And, yeah. and I think that's where, you know, a lot of people have been hit and buying those, you know, C properties, trying to lift them to B's and maybe didn't reach that or, you know, and now their, their loans coming due, they had five years on it and it's, you know, they probably met their metrics and their returns that they, you know, maybe they had an investment group, but now what? Because right. that seeming deal doesn't pencil like it did at six or seven percent. So, um, but yeah, having those conversations and, and that's a great resource. I mean, I use, um, uh, I personally use Cred IQ and, you know, doing the research and, you know, getting those relationships. But it's to me, again, I think I've said the word maybe seven times, but it's about the relationship for me and, yes. and, and bringing something to the table. You know, what's the solution? You know, maybe it's, it might not be selling it. You know, it might not be a listing opportunity for me, but how can I help them? What right. can we do? You know, what can, and, and to me, I'm going to bring more value with helping them think of a solution that's about them instead of it all about me. You know, do I want to sell a deal? Absolutely. Is that how I get paid? Absolutely. But that relationship long-term will be more valuable if I can help them with something, you know, whatever that might be. Um, I know there's, um, uh, companies out there that help with, you know, maybe the CMBS market and, you know, anything like that. So it's just, it's going to be interesting and, you know, what happens and, you know, do the lenders do the uh, pretend and extend, you know, without, because lenders don't really want the asset 
I mean, no, they don't. I, I, hey, we but we just talked about a short sale that I was that we'll be closing on on December twenty eighth, and I'm I'm here to tell you I was absolutely shocked at the rate at the at the ease ease of that. Wow. It was probably the easiest short sale I've ever done in my entire career, and I've done thousands of them. Yeah. But you know, the bank already knew what it was worth. Yeah. They had already done the work. And so by the time I came to them with the, the with the listing and the buyer, it, it was like a 30 second. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, but but there, there was there was lien holder two, three, four, five and six. And they said, but you need wow. to get these people on board. And, and we did, though, we did wow. get that on board. Look, here's another thing, too, that is yeah. you know, like on this hotel asset that I'm that I'm referring to. Not only was there a, a renovation loan that was oh, wow. taken out during COVID to, to bring yeah. it up to, you know, all the, the required PIP that was needed, but there were also some of these COVID relief loans that were mm -hmm. not forgivable. And these people had no idea that this 500000 they had to pay back. This 380000 they had to pay back. This 720000 they had to pay back. Guys, gals, you need to have like real conversations with those people because here's the thing. Those didn't show up on title because those were business loans made to the business entity. But guess what? They were for that property. They had to be solved. They had to be settled in order to get true, clear title. Because here's the thing. If we went forward and sold that yeah. and then those loans came back, guess what they would have done? marched right in there and taken the mattresses, taken the beds, taken the yeah. nightstands, taken the everything. <laughs> yeah. What does a hotel need? A place to yeah. sleep, right? So right. so there's there's so much that goes into, you know, to that that process, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a difficult process. I absolutely love those processes, you know. Yeah. Well, We're congratulations getting on getting that done. I know that that sounds like it wasn't an easy uh, it, so what happened with all of those second and third and seventh lien holders? They all settled some for zero because they knew wow. that they were so far down the road. Yeah. Uh, we were able to prove not only with a full-blown MAI appraisal, you know, showing exactly what value was, wow. but, you know, the financials, right? I mean, a hotel is real estate, but it's a business. It and is. so we were able to show exactly how there was no way that she was going to be, the seller was going to yeah. be coming out of it. And the reason for that is because they all just kept piling on. Here you go. Here's more money. Here's more money. I'm sure every person that called her on the phone and said, we have ERC money for you. Okay, I'll take oh, it. Let's do it. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so it's, but it's wow. asking those types of questions. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before on the show, but I'm going to say it again. You gotta ask all the right questions because not only does somebody have a loan coming due, ask them how many loans they have that aren't showing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Get the clear, true, and accurate picture. Okay. You may not be a, a short sale negotiation expert, but there's people in this business like myself who has done these. Right. I've, with practically every lender out there and every attorney firm out there, you know, these things banks will settle. And so, you know, are we in 08, 09? Absolutely not. But we do have people that are upside down 
and they can't, they do need problem solvers right now. That's That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. They need problem solvers right now. And those are the opportunities that we're going after because there are still buyers for those opportunities if they're Mm -hmm. priced appropriately. That's right. Uh, Absolutely. Solve problems. What do you do, Heather? For what? What do you do, Heather? I'm a problem solver. I mean, that's exactly yeah. it. Just tagline that. Right? I solve problems. <laughs> we, make it, we make it happen. I lease I, office space when no one else can. <laughs> my, my other mo is I get shit done. I yeah. like it. Hey, that's mine. You, no, I'm teasing. We all. Yeah, that, that's why we enjoy each other. We all yeah, get shit right. Done. Definitely. No. Is this so, true? The last thing that, so since we had you on the show the last time you have gone through the CCIM instructor process, and we just want to congratulate you for that. And if there's anything you'd like to share about that process that our listeners, I'm sure they'd love to hear. Well, thank you so much, Lisa Marie. Yeah. And, and, you know, you guys taking your CCIM courses, I commend you continue on. It's so worth it. I started on the, uh, my first course, I believe I took in 20, in 2000. And I was penned in 2005 and, you know, 18, 19 years ago, being a woman in the industry, you know, it gave me knowledge. It gave me the information. It gave me the way, the understanding. And and I'm so passionate about, you know, education and I love the investment analysis side. So, and going to getting to the table and talking with owners, it, it was, you know, I brought value. I, they, Oh, she knows what she's talking about. So it was really cool. Um, so when they opened up for the um, process for uh, instructors um, about a year and a half ago, and so going through that journey, um, it's uh, it's a long road. It's uh, I ultimately want to teach uh, 104, which you know might take me another two or three years, but uh, so enjoy the you know I think I've had three or four 101 courses. Um, you know, from Raleigh-Durham down to South Carolina, and uh, I'll be in um, uh, Miami next month. So uh, just really exciting to go around and, you know, see talent and see the hunger and thirst in young people. And, you know, that aha moment from, you know, day one to, you know, by day four, when they get it, it's like, like it's just so incredible. (laughs) It's so fulfilling to, you know, be part of that journey for them. So I'm really honored and excited and, you know, we'll uh, keep doing what I do and and building my business and, you know, working on deals, but love that opportunity of giving back and and seeing others uh, and and especially women. I really love inspiring and, and, you know, you've got a a lady in the class who maybe spent the last 20 years in residential and she's got some high net worth and clients and they want to buy this and that. And, you know, to see her, you know, make this transformation of, I get this. And and I think everybody starts somewhere. We don't have to be, you know, we don't have to be great to start, but we got to start to be great. Right. Yes. Um, So anyway, it's, it's super exciting, but yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I've kept in touch with every CCIM instructor I've had and the relationships that you make through the CCIM organization and how it sets you apart. And of the, you know, of the thousands of, of people that have been pinned as CCIMs now, there's still not enough women. So if there's any of you ladies out there listening, um, or, you know, people that fall into minority categories other than women really think about, um, pursuing the pin and there's lots of scholarships out there too. So, um, cause it is a, it's a time consuming and a pricey journey, but you and I are on the same page, Heather. It's worth it. It's worth it. I love it. That's fantastic. 
Yeah. Very cool. Well, well I'm so glad you came back yes. on another. What we'll to do this in another year, maybe. Let's do yeah. it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Thanks for being our last guest of the year and uh, happy holidays, everybody, and happy yeah. new year. We'll see you in January and uh, make it a great uh, end of the year. We still got time to get some deals done. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you guys. Appreciate y'all. Good bye -bye. to see you. Bye. Good to see y'all. Bye. Thank you.